Father God, thank you for this beautiful day that you have made, for um, the many blessings that you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and for your word to instruct us and reveal more about who you are to us this morning. So we pray that you would bless this time together, you'd continue to sanctify us according to Christ, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so we on already uh, our seventh week now of Doctrine of God. And if you remember last week, we looked at the immutability of God. Anybody remember what God's immutability means? Yes, He's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we find great comfort in that. Um, this morning, we're going to look at, aim to look at two attributes. We tried to look at two attributes last week. That didn't quite work out. So we'll see how it goes. Um, God's infinity and his simplicity. So let's start off with God, the infinity of God. Anybody want to take a guess at what this is pointing to about God? The fact that God is, is infinite. Okay. Yeah. Okay, he's no beginning, no end. He's, he's eternal. So there, there are two sub-points in this, his eternity and his immensity. But let's just speak generally about God's infinity. So it, the infinity of God means that God is free from the world and its constraints. Okay, we are confined to space and time here on earth. But God made space and time, so therefore he's absolutely not constrained by it. Yeah, it's kind of hard for us to get our minds around that because all we know is space and time. We can't quite fathom eternity, a, a, a time where there, were, where there was, before time began. You can't really get your mind around that. That's just the part of being a we we creatures, there's certain things that's beyond our capacity to grasp. So God is God constrained then by anything? If He's not constrained by space and time, is He constrained by anything at all? Well, indeed He is. Sorry. Sure. Okay. He's He's constrained by His His own nature. Okay. His his holiness. So there's some things that God can't do. What's one thing that God can't do? Yes, it's just to sin. God can't sin because he's holy. So he's constrained by his own character, his own nature. He's righteous. He's, he's full of justice. He's full of grace. And so these attributes constrain him in a good way, even though he, nobody created him. He just is. So all his attributes, therefore, are infinite. So let's first look at God's eternity. Now, this is relating to, um, well, it's, it's concerning the infinity of God in relation to time. So God is the one who has always been. Okay, he never had a beginning. Try and get your mind around that. You, you can't. Like, we process things in, from start to, to end. There was never a time when God 
was not. Somebody didn't, there wasn't somebody who created God. God simply is. Uncreated. He transcends all the limits of time. Yeah, Psalm 90 verse 2 and verse 4 says, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. And that's just incredible. A thousand years. It's just, for God, it's nothing. It's just like that. And this obviously is, is not so with us. Okay, we live in time. We have a past. We have, are living in the present and we have a future ahead of us. But God is removed from this. Okay, he's, he's eternal. He's the I am who, who I am. The I was who I was. The I will be who I will be. So any questions here regarding the eternity of God? Yeah, absolutely. So we definitely created, but we created to live forever. Yeah, either in the new creation or in the lake of fire. So, yeah. <laughs> well, God chose, but uh, anyway, that's a whole different. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole different uh, topic. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's now look at his immensity. Okay, so God's infinity in relation to space. Or what we would call his omnipresence. So what do we mean by the omnipresence of God? Okay, God's everywhere at the same time. He's infinite in relation to space. Okay, he transcends all the limits of space and yet is present at every point of space with his whole being. Okay, we, on the other hand, are certainly not. Okay, that's why when people say that we are gods, you know, they, they're smoking something because they don't understand what they're saying. Okay, we are bound by space. We can only be at one place at in one time. Okay, this is obviously not so with, with God. His, um, his immensity, the fact that he's immense, means it focuses us on his, his imminence or his nearness to us. So everywhere we go, God is present. Now, we mustn't get this confused with, with pantheistic ideas of God. It's not the same. Okay, pantheism says that God is with, within everything, or God is everything. That is not what the omnipresence of God or the um, immensity of God is, is saying. God is distinct from his creation. Okay, he is not in the trees. He's not in the soil. He's not, um, he's not of the same substance as his creation. He's distinct, yet he is present within his creation. Okay, he's drawn near to us. He came down to us through Christ and then he remains here by, by his spirit. So this is why 
the scripture can say in place like 1 Kings 8, 27. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. Yeah, it's pointing to the presence of God filling the whole earth. Psalm 139, 7 to 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Jeremiah 23, 23 to 24. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and a God not far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. So what would you say some implications then of this fact that God is infinite in space, that he's omnipresent? What does that mean for us? Good man. Yeah, okay, correct. Yeah, it's good and bad news. What did you, why would you say that, Paul? Well, well the good news is that, um, you know, you, you, you can, he can reach you and you can reach him, you know, anywhere. So, mm. But the bad news is you can't run away from him. <laughs> Which is also good news. Yeah. <laughs> depending, depending on where you're at, I suppose. Yeah. Okay, you, you think you can do something in secret... And hide something. Well, you can't. <laughs> so the, the, God's omnipresence should put the fear of God into us in a healthy way. That uh, don't sin, okay? Because <laughs> God sees it; He's there. <laughs> so don't delude yourself that you can, um, you know, c- commit evil behind closed doors and think no one else is going to know about it. God knows. Okay. But at the same time, this should give us immense comfort because we know that God is never, ever distant from us. That's why Psalm 38, 34, 18, one of my favorite verses, God is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. And you're going through... Dark times, hold on to verses like this. His promises, he is close to, to us, in, especially in a state of, of brokenness. The other thing it tells us is there's, there's, ap- even, there's absolutely no place where God not, is, is not, does not dwell, even hell. Okay, God, hell is certainly a separation from the presence of God, the favor of God. The, well, not the, the sorry, not delete that. <laughs> Podcast, delete that. Okay. Um, the, the, it's not a separation from the presence of God because God's presence is everywhere. It's a separation from the favor or the face of God. Because okay, God's presence is very much in hell. In terms of his wrath. Okay, people in hell are going to face the wrath of God, be in the presence of God for all eternity, but in a presence, the type of presence of God you don't want to be in. 
Okay, they don't experience the judgment of God, but be forever removed from the face of God. So it's in a similar way, when Jesus was on the cross, on the cross, Jesus experienced the fullness of hell. Experienced the fullness of hell because he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay. God's face, his favor turned away from Christ at that point on the cross. But yet he was never completely removed from Jesus because the Trinity can never be separated from each other. Okay, so Jesus did not, he was forsaken from the favor and face of God. And he experienced in the fullness on the cross the wrath of God. And so that's why he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in the same way in hell, that is what unbelievers are going to face for all eternity. It's a, yeah, it's a horrific thoughts. Alex, you were interested. Yeah, just a comment and question. So the comment is that Dr. Barr's suggestion for how to think about that is he said hell is the presence of God without a mediator. Yeah, that's, that's good. Because um, that's what anybody apart from Christ would Okay, good. We're actually going to look at this in, in the sermon, all about Philippians 2. Um, but but let, let's talk about it, because that, that, it's relevant here. Um, okay, this probably means we won't get to simplicity today, but anyway, this, this is fun stuff. Um, so, we say that God is omnipresent, He's everywhere at one place, then we say, oh, what about Jesus? Okay, when Jesus was, was here on earth, um, did He then give up His divine attributes or give up um, his, his divinity. Because there are some theologians who teach this. Okay, most notably, um, those who teach what's called the kenosis theory. And I'm going to go into more detail in, in, in the sermon. Um, the kenosis is from a Greek word, kenao, which is used in Philippians 2. which just, it, It's translated in some translations that Christ emptied himself. So this was made up by... German 19th century liberal theologians. Trust me, anything that the German 19th century theologians teach, you don't, it's bad, okay? They were not good. It's not good theology that came out of Germany at that time. Uh, things like people like Bultmann and uh, what are the other guys? Pannenberg and, and all of them. They, they did not have a high regard for the, the deity of Christ, amongst other things. And so they say, ah, Jesus, when he was on earth, he, lay, he emptied himself of his divine attributes. And so that's why. You just see him as, as a man. And the miracles that he did perform were performed in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what do we make of this? Because do we see Jesus displaying divine attributes when he was on earth. Okay, Paul's nodding very profusely there. Where do you see Jesus' divine attributes being displayed? Okay, yeah. Walking on the water. Sorry. Okay, sure. 
Yeah. Okay, and then all these miracles, the, the point of Jesus' miracles is not that they're some sort of party tricks. They're all pointing and revealing the fact that he is Yahweh. I mean, like when he walks on the water, okay, the, the disciples' reaction is what? Fear. Because they knew their psalms and the, they remembered Psalm 107, which declares that it is Yahweh is the one who tramples the waves and calms the storms. And so they see Jesus trampling on the waves and calming the storms. And they get the message. Yahweh is in their presence. That's the point of Jesus' miracles. And even the Gospel of John, the end, chapter 20, tells us explicitly that that's the point. And I, Jesus did these signs in order to show that he is the Son of God, and in believing in him, you may have life. That's the, so the miracles of Jesus reveal his omni, omnipotence, his omniscience, and his, uh, that he knows the future, the prophecy, and, and even his omnipresence, that he is everywhere at the same time. We'll get to exactly how that looks like now, but we're going to say there's the, the mystery of the incarnation is that he's truly God and truly man. You can't explain that rationally. So he was truly man, that he was confined to a human body. That's the reality of the incarnation, yet he never stopped being God. He never stopped being the sovereign immutable God throughout yet his glory he came in a veiled glory and this is just a part of the mystery here but we get these glimpses of his divine attributes coming through through the miracles we could say an example of Jesus omnipresence his post-resurrection appearances and there he does appear in many places almost at the same time one minute he's in Jerusalem next minute he's up in the Galilee and then he's not there and he's going through walls and all of that so it, it's it, it's a little glimpse of his omnipresence we don't it yet all of the in all of these things it's a veiled glory and that's just because of the nature of the incarnation questions about that Yeah, I get what you're saying, Patrick. Um, I mean, it's a tough one because we don't know the thoughts of Jesus as he was growing up as a boy. Um, on the one hand, as a part of his humanity, there would have been a natural development and growth that we all experience as as, as humans. That he he didn't he wasn't he didn't come out the womb and start talking. <laughs> fluently and know all the languages and 
<laughs> so he had the normal de- growth development like we all did. But in terms of his consciousness of being the eternal son of God, um, you see, this is where his divinity comes in. And there must... It's, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. But, but I would sort of shy away from that he sort of slowly started to have a divine consciousness that sort of gets into liberal theology. Um, we've got to live with this mystery that he was truly God throughout from the moment he came out the womb and truly man throughout. And still right now, that is true. You must understand. He's not that he's no more man, uh, human in his glorified state. He's still truly God and truly man. He exists at the right hand of the Father in a body. Remember that. Okay? It's a glorified body, but a body nevertheless. And his, I suppose another practical way we could talk about God's omnipresence um, is in the Lord's Supper. Because this was a, 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 one of the big issues in the Reformation. Okay, the, the reason why the Lutherans and the Reformed churches went different paths was on this issue of the presence of Christ in, in the Lord's Supper. And um, it was really Calvin's thinking on this that came to characterize um, the, the teaching of the Reformed churches going forward. Um, yeah, there was Zwingli, but we won't, and we'll ignore Zwingli. Um, but the, 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 uh, Calvin settled on the fact that um, God, Jesus is truly present. In the Lord's Supper. Okay, because Luther was saying, no, no, no. Um, Jesus is truly present. And Zwingli, who was the other Swiss Reform guy, said, no, Jesus is not truly present because Jesus is on inner body on the right hand of the Father. Hello, Mel. And um, Luther was just saying, well, you've just got to deal with that mystery, Zwingli. But Calvin wasn't satisfied with either of them, and he said, no, yes, Jesus is certainly the right hand of the Father, but he is present with us in a special way. He's obviously omnipresent, but he's present with us in a special way in in the Lord's Supper. How? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's how... That's that's how he got around, and that's, that's why we believe that there is... It's not just a memorial... Um, God is truly with us. Jesus is truly with us by the power of the Spirit in a special way. Questions? Comments? Okay, well, I suppose we'll, we'll get to the simplicity of God next week. So we pray. Father God, thank you for time together and thank you for your your word which reveals what we need to know about you and Lord there's a lot that we we don't grasp there's a lot of mystery and that's okay we, we trust in in what you have given to us 
is sufficient for all our needs and that you will continue to um, grow us as your disciples into your image and that we may glorify you. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.